Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Happy Daylight Saving, everyone. Hope your day's not as miserable as mine. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name's Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the mailbag edition. And we're answering your questions. Free agency is starting around the time that this podcast releases. So watch some of the stuff that we talk about become obsolete in a matter of minutes. That's okay. We're still going to put on a good show and here to help me try to do that are my dear pals. First, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane, you look like you have beef. Well, first, I was going to wish everybody a happy one hour before legal tampering period starts. However, I am now very confused by your qualms with getting an extra hour of daylight. I am very confused on why you do not want it to be light outside until 745 right now or in another couple months until 9 o'clock at night. Like, What do you have against extra daylight? I ha- fine. Keep the daylight. Keep the schedule as is, but quit, quit rolling it back later. Just keep the same schedule. It is one of the most dangerous days in this country when we do daylight saving. There are there are legitimately more accidents. Everybody's because of everybody's sleep deprivation. What's the point? Fine. Create the put the schedule so that there's more daylight during the summer. Whatever. But quit rolling it around. Buddy, just, if, just leave if it be. you are suffering from significant sleep deprivation because you lost a single hour of sleep one day out of 365 days in the year, you got a lot more issues than daylight savings. I know of young parents who had three months of adjustments to make it work. So I'm just saying. It's not as simple. It's not as simple as you're trying to make it out, Maddie. Not all of us can be so perfect like you. I'm confused. I am confused by the qualms with losing an hour of sleep for a singular day and the trade-off for getting months of more daylight. But this is not the Kent versus Matt debate club. We must bring in our third member, Craig Stout. He can weigh in on the extra daylight versus losing one single hour of sleep or not, or he can keep this professional. It's the schedule, Matthew. It's the principle of it. Sorry, Craig. What's your take? Quit being confined by time. Let's talk football. (laughs) Please, God, let's stop talking about daylight savings time. (laughs) I like how it led with that and not free agency. All right, five-star review questions. Let's jump there. If you like what's going on in the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, um, if you uh, want to leave a five-star review, when you do it, you ask a question, we answer it. It's pretty simple. And I want to shout out Big Chief. First off, he used the phrase, boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. Uh, the question, the timing of when it came in, we didn't see it. but And it was had something to do with the, Eric Fisher potentially restructuring and Mitchell Schwartz maybe coming back. None of those things happens. But shout out to Big Chief. All right, Greg uh, left a five-star review and asked, with the new TV deal on in the final stages and Jerry Jones making Dak's deal official, it looks like the cap increase will be significant over the next five years. With restructuring contracts, backloading deals, and the new cap, will the Chiefs be inclined to be more aggressive in free agency by adding 
both a top-tier wide receiver and D-end, and do I dare say a top cornerback as well? Yeah, I, I don't know that all three of those, just from a top perspective, even though everything is increasing, it's not like the Chiefs are the only team that's going to be competing in some of these markets. So they are going to be dealing with other teams that are willing to pay just as much, if not more, as the Chiefs are. But yes, I do foresee them playing in a couple of different markets. I think that they're going to play in the offensive tackle market, and I think that they could play in the defensive end market or the wide receiver market. I think it's very feasible with the TV deal increasing the cap over the next five, six, seven decade, whatever, you know, you're going to see them invest pretty heavily and backload some deals pretty seriously. Chief Bearcats talked about that before. So I do think that you're going to see them maybe be a little more surprisingly involved in some of these markets than maybe you would have guessed that they were before some of these TV deal things came down. They might be in one of these markets by the time this pod releases. Yeah, that's true. Bo- Bobo 52, would you consider taking Shaka Tony to defensive end out of Penn State? at the end of round five, even though he is not a typical Spags defensive end slash linebacker. Thanks for the time and looking forward to the draft guide. I think if the Chiefs were interested in Shaka Tony, it would have to be to kick him to the Sam linebacker position. He'd have to play off ball. He'd be a guy that on base downs would just kind of be there to be a run defender. And he, despite being incredibly light, is a decent run defender. He tries really hard. He understands block concepts coming at him. So it wouldn't be an awful solution, I don't think, to try to put him as a Sam, and then occasionally you could kick him down and maybe have him rush on sub packages. But the issue is, even as an off-ball linebacker, I think he's small. Like I don't think that he is as big as Steve Spagnuolo prefers his off-ball linebackers. You're getting a guy that doesn't look particularly good in space. He's only going to be rushing the passer in spurts, and when he does, he still doesn't have the length or the size that they prefer. He just seems like a guy that's probably an odd fit for the Chiefs, but if they went that route, it would be getting a sub-package rusher for the Sam position. I can just think of some other guys I think would be higher up on the radar than Shaka Tony would in that same general range. All right, Josh Mar- Marshall asks, can you give the full list of offensive linemen you'd be comfortable taking at 31? And I'd love to know if there is some O-line players some of you uh, would and others would what, at all at 31. So um, I'll just run down the list, and if you guys want to fight me on one of these. At 31, Penny Sewell, duh, Rayshon Slater, duh, Jalen Mayfield, Christian Derrissaw, Tevin Jenkins, Elijah Vera Tucker, I think the Samuel Cosme. How about Liam Eichenberg, Maddie? But I don't love the pick, but I have no qualms against it. I think, especially if they don't sign a tackle that is ready to play in free agency, he's a guy that's ready to start on day one. So, like, he very clearly fills a need and provides a uplift of what they would have already. Okay, Dylan Radens. He's a little bit more of a gray area because I think he's going to have up and down time as a rookie like he's not always going to be steady like I think Eichenberg will but he does have a little bit higher ceiling same thing as Eichenberg I would get it if they took him there but I wouldn't love it but I don't think I would be punching air Walker Little I would like Walker Little better than the last two we just said despite him receiving a lower grade in the KC draft guide because I'm a guy that I like ceiling out of my draft prospects and Walker Little has a better ceiling than both of those guys It's not that he hasn't put good play on film before. He has. You just didn't get to see the complete product before an injury and then COVID forced him to miss essentially the full last two seasons. 
Okay, two real quick. No full, no full explanations. Jackson, Carmen, yay or nay? No, thank you. James Hudson, yay or nay? Love the player. I think that's too rich. Okay, Landon Dickerson, yes. Last one, Alex Leatherwood. He falls into <laughs> the Dylan Radunes category, but lower. I think he's going to have a lot yes. of ups and downs if he plays tackle. The yes. thing is, he can play guard and be fine. Radunes, I think, would need a little bit of time to transition to play guard. So Leatherwood's a little safer, but man, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs to tackle. I really just wanted to throw some of those names at you just to get your... I mean, but you guys see, like, look at the level of comfort that, you know, or level of, you know... Mighty kind of said it. The chances of the number six offensive tackle being just a, a slam dunk, just statistically, regardless of what we if we like like these guys, isn't particularly high. But there's a long list of guys that you think have a legitimate chance of being good if you develop them right. Twitter questions, Chief Boy RDG. If you had one non-quarterback position that you couldn't address in any way this offseason and roll with as is, which group would it be and why? Love this question. Oh man, running back. Lame. You're right. I know. No, that's I'm gonna. Lame. I'm gonna Do change it up more. because that's I'll too lame. Challenge yourself a little here, Craig. That's, that's too lame because that's the good. Chiefs that's are a good one, though. You're right. It is. They're not going to address running back. Are you gonna but... do the other position that doesn't matter? Uh, no. Um, I'm gonna do corner. I'm gonna do corner. I I feel like they probably have some need there especially if Bashad Breland does not return but honestly Steve Spagnuolo likes Rashad Fenton in the slot Legereus Need could play outside and Charvarius Ward could play outside as a restricted free agent so I do think that they have the bodies at the cornerback position to be able to field it it gets ridiculously thin after that like you're not going to feel comfortable with Bo Beat Keys DeAndre you Baker coming off of an injury. Like, there's there's a bunch of question marks immediately after that. But they've at least got bodies that can start and play and be, you know, at least at an NFL level at that position. What about safety? Well, right now, they are missing the third safety that they rely Legereus on Sneed so halfway counts. And does he? Rodney Clements. I think he is still technically somewhere on this roster. Is he? He is back, I believe, okay. on a futures deal. No, so Listen, from the, my perspective this, this, was just simply the same thing you talked about. They technically have starters in place. Yes, you do have to replace Dan Sorensen snaps, but a healthy Juan Thornhill started to do that. We saw, or not replace him, but a healthy Juan Thornhill made a big impact in the playoffs and down the stretch. You have healthy Juan Thornhill, Tyron Matthew, then Legereus Sneed playing the very clear next defensive back role. You then have Fitton, who's played a little bit in that kind of Kendall Fuller role from the last couple seasons. You have Armani Watts is still around. You have Rodney Clemens, who I just liked as a player. I think you have bodies similar to cornerback, but maybe a little bit better starters to go out there. Hear me out here. When you go to your dime defense, rather than having your Ben Neiman and Dan Sorensen positions in the middle of the field that really still couldn't cover anybody particularly well, just put Anthony Hitchens and Willie Gay in those positions and know that you're going to be heavy and you still can't cover in the middle of the field. That's what I'm saying. Just play that as is. But they'll complete yeah. the tackle. It's the least important position in the history yeah, of sports. They'll complete the tackle for sure. That's absolutely going to happen. All right, Chiefs Channel. If you dropped 2013 Eric Fisher into this draft, 
Where would you rank him among the 2021 NFL draft prospects? It's a great question. This this is a question. He would be behind Penesul. He would be behind Rashawn Slater. I think that he would be behind Jalen Mayfield and Christian Darisaw for me based purely on the level of competition. Eric Fisher, much like those guys, I don't think is a complete product coming out. He's a guy that definitely needed some development. So like he's down here with Tevin Jenkins, Elijah Vera Tucker. I think that's probably the range he's in. So we're looking at offensive tackle five to seven, and it's just based purely on being an elite athlete on the field. That says that the number one pick in the 2013 NFL draft was the 20th pick in this year's draft. And that's, I mean, I'm not, I mean, this that is checks not out. Me, this is not, yeah, this is not me slandering anybody. This is like just, that's how bad that draft was. And he wasn't the wrong, particularly a wrong pick there either. No, no, like, no not he's at all. Absolutely the right pick. Yeah. Not at all. And I think he had a pretty solid career. Like his career might pan out better than some of those guys that we talked about because there was some swing. Uh, on potential there. So he might shape out better than a Jalen Mayfield and a Christian. I mean, like, here it is. What separates cor- Eric Fisher as a prospect from Sam Cosme? Not much. I mean, what, Cosme faced I mean, better they're both, competition. They're both ridiculous athletes. Yeah, better competition, I, up I and down. I think Fish yeah. might have been a little bit more technically refined than Cosme. Yeah, maybe. I think Fish showed that because he had a better senior bowl process. Yeah. than a Sam Cosby. No, and I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just like, I think you're splitting hairs to differentiate between those two. And like Sam Cosby's sure. an end of round one tackle for just about everybody. It's like, I think, I mean, they seem like a very similar type of prospect. So I'm not getting, like Kent said, I said the number one pick in the 2013 draft would be an end of round one pick this year. But like, I, I yeah. don't see the difference between him and Cosby. And it looks like Cosby's kind of slated to go in that range. Now, all that being said, Fisher realized his potential to a pretty good degree and became a mid-level starting tackle. And that's worth a top 10 pick. Yeah. A mid-level starting tackle is oh, worth a top 10 pick. Easily. Yes. So, I mean, as far as yeah. like, it, there's a difference between projecting him as a prospect and then, you know, the chiefs got good value. Well, relative to that draft class. Yes. Uh, Todd Reeves asks, if Eric Fisher had not torn his Achilles, would you still be in favor of cutting him, saving money, and rebuilding the offensive line? No. Uh, I think especially you're seeing mass turnover along this offensive line. Eric Fisher provides capable quality tackle play, mid-level starter type tackle play, maybe a little bit better, with Mitchell Schwartz likely retiring Moving on from Austin Ryder, you want that stability. And it's not like Eric Fisher's cap number was insane for his play. I mean, it's not like he had an absurd cap hit there. Maybe you're looking at an extension, frankly, to try to lower that cap hit and, and extend him for a few more years uh, because he's competent tackle play. And, and, you know, there's value in that for sure. D. Johnston, 29, between Martinez Rankin, LDT, Nick Allegretti, Andrew Wiley. The Chiefs have plenty of in-house guard options with Allegretti potentially uh, having or being potentially able to play center. If you bring back Mike Remmers and sign a higher-end free agent left tackle, is it feasible that they only add a mid or late-round offensive lineman after that? I mean, I suppose it's feasible. We've seen this team do stuff like that with this interior offensive line before. But honestly, I think that's a worse offensive line than they started with at the beginning of last year because you've got Niang and Rimmers basically competing at right tackle and as much as we like Niang he's going to have some growing pains you know very you're starting in the NFL you are going to have some growing pains and then the interior of that offensive line 
is not good. Nick Allegretti may be a fine player as a depth player, but he's not a good starting center. Same with Andrew Wiley, Andrew, you know, Rankin, Martinez Rankin, we talk about him all the time as a good depth piece. Like, LDT is the only one of those guys that has shown anything as a starter in this league. The Chiefs have cap. They have assets. I see them targeting another position early, whether that be the right tackle position to move Niang to one of those guard spots, or whether that be at an interior position, try and get a good center or get a good guard in free agency or the draft. Just They watched what happened when this offensive line was bad last year. They will not let that happen again. I just don't believe that for a second. Fat White Goodman, who would be the biggest name signing that would would have the most meh production in Kansas City, and why is it A.J. Green? Maddie, I just want you to talk. You can, you can come up with a name if you want, but really I just want you to talk about A.J. Green here as a fit in Kansas City. I, I think A.J. Green, especially in the twilight of his career, kind of fits relatively well. He's no longer going to be a guy that's going to stretch the field vertically consistently. He's a good route runner. He plays physical at the wide receiver position. He could very easily line up at the X position that Sammy vacated and give the Chiefs a fair amount of production. It's just a matter of how healthy is he going to be? What does he have left in the tank? So I get where we're coming from. For that reason, I'm going to stick at wide receiver. I'm going to say Kenny Galladay. Because if the Chiefs are throwing vertically, which is Kenny Galladay special, they're throwing to Tyreek Hill. They're throwing to McCole Hardman. They're not going to throw to a significantly slower player that kind of tries to win at the catch point down the field frequently enough to justify the kind of contract that I think he's going to sign. So if the Chiefs are to go pay Kenny Galladay, he has the size to play X, but that's not his bread and butter. He doesn't win short and intermediate over the middle of the field. He's much more of a vertical guy. And I just don't think there's going to be a ton of opportunities for him to justify paying him $13, 15000000 million a year. Casey Fun, I haven't heard Kalecio Semele being included in talk about next year's line much in the past few weeks. Via his I Instagram, his rehab seems to be going well. Is there a reason y'all aren't including him? Uh, or is it because he isn't under contract right now? Um, I mean, I think a lot of people look at him as a logical addition back into the mix. But I think here's the problem. The Chiefs are coming off a season where they just experienced ultimate attrition along the offensive line with a bunch of guys that got hurt. They just moved on from a bunch of guys that got hurt. The reason this team lost the Super Bowl is because a bunch of guys got hurt. Do you want to go back to that well and ta- and bring back a guy to start and pencil him in to start that played a game and a half? Was it a game and a half? It was very it was a very small sample size, correct? Yeah, it was very small. I don't remember exactly uh, when that happened. It was the it, it was the Raiders game. The first Raiders game is where he got hurt. Okay, was so it? half okay. yeah, okay. So very small sample size. He didn't last more than a few games. What that I don't know why I don't know if this team can trust him to stay healthy. He's had health concerns throughout his career, and you just lost the Super Bowl because of those health injuries I, issues. I think I would you, you could maybe sign into a contract with no guaranteed money, a vet minimum type deal. Let him come into camp if he's playing well. Um, you know maybe let him have a chance to start, but no, you better have a plan behind him. You better have a plan behind him. Honestly, guys, this seems like a year, especially if they take a list like, a risk like that. There's been some seasons where the Chiefs have had 10 offensive linemen on their roster. 
It's not always the case for them. 10, 11. It's been 11 in the past at times before. Would that really surprise you? Not me. Especially, you can, then that gives you a chance to take a swing on a guy like Kelechi Assembly along the offensive line. But they've got to have quality depth this year. Mike Remmers, the ideal situation for Mike Remmers would be he's back and he's not starting. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Kelechi Assembly might be the same thing. He's back and he's not starting. <laughs> oh, make no mistake. Both of those guys on the roster as depth pieces, I love. Like, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, but you, you can't count on them to be your starters. And we're not really discussing depth right now. We're discussing the front, like the mm-hmm. actual guys that are going to be rolling out there. And we can get to low-cost options like if Kelechi Simley doesn't have a market and if Mike Remmers doesn't have a great market and can come back. But I just, mm, I don't know. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. All right, continuing to answer Twitter questions, Kevo Bevo asks, would you guys be on board with Juju Smith-Schuster as wide receiver too? Maddie Lane has been talking about this, I think, in the DMs at least. I don't know if we've really talked about it publicly, but here, here's your chance. I absolutely would. And I get what's off-putting about him is since he has become the guy in Pittsburgh, his yards per reception have dropped. It seems like he's not playing quite as well as he was earlier in his career. That's fine. He's not going to be the guy in Kansas City. He's going to be the third option behind Tyreek Hill, behind Travis Kelsey. And guess what? Unlike Kenny Galladay, who I just talked about earlier, Juju Smith-Schuster lives to win short and intermediate. He makes perfect sense for the scheme and what the team is missing. He's a very physical receiver, not afraid to go over the middle of the field. You can scheme him some touches to get him in the open field. He runs physically with the ball in his hand. I think from a schematic standpoint, he after Allen Robinson obviously might be the next best receiver from a scheme fit for the Chiefs in free agency, it's just a matter of what is another team going to want to pay him. It does not sound like he's willing to give Pittsburgh a discount, so I don't think he's going to be taking less money on the open market. So I think his market would have to kind of be decreased a little bit for the Chiefs to want to pay them much money as he feels like he should get. Mr. Gill Choir Guy. Uh, in six to nine months, what is the off-season move we will wish this team had made? Okay, I'm I'm gonna kind of cheat here, but I'm gonna throw it out as a free agent interior offensive lineman. There are too many good ones on the market right now. At guard, you got Joe Tooney, Trey Turner, Gabe Jackson, Kevin Zeitler, and then a bunch of guys that can play decent snaps after that that you might be able to sort in as starters and then at center you got Corey Lindsley David Andrews Matt Skura I mean like you got a bunch of high level talent that is on the market because teams were paying them above 10 million dollars a year and they could not deal with that with the cap decrease that means that this year those guys are going to probably be taking a little bit less than that that's a steal Find a way to get one of those guys on your roster because there is a market inefficiency at that position right now. I know everybody wants to target it in the draft as well, but you can go get a guy that can be a high-level starter for two, three, four, five years now in this market for below market value. You got to hit that right now. For me, I will. I think it's going to be we feel like we signed the wrong offensive tackle. I think the Chiefs will sign a quote-unquote mid-tier offensive tackle, but in reality, they are going to sign a one- to two-year stopgap to come in and play tackle while they attempt to draft an entire new offensive line. 
they will pay way too much money to get a guy that's a fringe starter when if they would have just forked over more money, they could have signed Trent Williams or somebody that was actually good. We'll get halfway through the season. This stopgap player is going to have some good games, some bad games like those kind of players do, and we're going to be left wondering, well, why didn't we just break out the checkbook that we have the room for for a much better player? Uh, Brett Veach said in his press conference that by, they like Byron Pringle and McCole Hardman. So very obviously this isn't going to matter anyway, because they're obviously going to do that because that entire, they're going to fix that because this, in, that entire press conference was a smokescreen. Um, but I think it, I could see us regretting what the chiefs did for the past catching weapons around Patrick Mahomes and not adding another quality guy as an X type receiver, not doing enough in the draft, uh, at the receiver spot or or in free agency and, and being disappointed with the production that they're getting out of that backside X receiver spot and it be magnified by a game or two where maybe a Travis Kelsey or a Tyree Kill and we're sitting here after a game lamenting the lack of pass catching weapons that, that this team has done to, to add to this group. I could see that being something we're all disappointed in. Only here for sports. If all of the 2021 draft offensive linemen got into a free-for-all bar fight, who do you think comes out victorious? That's the one I want the Chiefs to draft. This is probably the most important question that we've answered on this show. So, Craig, you have the floor. I think it's Greg Island, my guy. Uh, this man loves to finish. He finishes every <laughs> single rep that he can. Uh, he's not going to be the most fleet of foot. He's not going to be the highest drafted player on this list of any of these guys that we're mentioning. But Greg Island legitimately might pull a bar stool out and break it over everybody else's heads and then <laughs> pick up another one and keep going until he finally wears out, which might be early because his conditioning isn't great. I mean, for me, I think it's a pretty simple answer, and it's kind of cheating because I think this is the most common answer, but it's Landon Dickerson. The guy's listed at six foot six. so while Greg Island is bigger, it's not by, it's by a lot, 330 pounds. Landon, you watch Landon Dickerson play. I mean, watch him play against LSU in 2019. The things he does to their defensive tackle group is borderline criminal on its own. Like, it should place him in jail in a couple states. It was that ridiculous, and we're talking up against guys that are 350 pounds. So Landon Diggers, I mean, he's a mean dude. He's agile enough to avoid Greg Island's hammers from above. He's got the physical nature that he can take him to the ground. You just, you just got to be careful. You can't go for my guy's knees. As long as it's a clean fight, we're good. <laughs> Greg Island doesn't fight clean. Greg Island couldn't reach his knees because they're way too low to the ground. Y'all are just sleeping on Tevin Jenkins. I we know my not. man looks unassuming, but if you provoke him, he will destroy you. I can't believe I got to pick third and I got the clear best answer here. Tevin Jenkins has done some just unspeakable things to Joseph Osai on film. He is, I think he's the guy that just like doesn't have the off switch. Like if he just gets going, if he gets provoked enough, like someone, like he, he starts shaking afterwards. Like he's just over in the corner, just like he, he blacked out and had no idea what he just did. Seriously. Guys, go go look for a, a Tevin Jenkins' uh, school picture and know that that man is the most nasty finisher in this draft it's, class. <laughs> yeah, the juxtaposition between him and his his picture is it's just it's poetic. The friendliest monster you've ever seen. It's just it's phenomenal. 
All right, the real case swag. If you could change one draft pick or free agent signing in the Brett Veach era, what it, would it be, and what would you do instead? I would take the Colin Saunders draft pick, and I would instead draft Jamel Dean, who went a few picks later, a tier one Seabat that has been a really, really good player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, long, crazy athletic, good intensity, a guy that I, you know, was a little stiff coming out, but Spagnolo does not have any problem with stiff cornerbacks. That speed would give them the ability to play a little more single high with, you know, luxurious need on the outside. And those cornerbacks would be set for the near future. Like you, you'd be good with them and you'd only spend a third and a fourth round draft pick on those guys. Anytime this kind of question comes up, I have the same answers. I will keep this short and sweet. We are not taking Breland Speaks. In fact, we are taking the best linebacker currently in the NFL and Fred Warner out of BYU. I don't quite comprehend the process in which the Chiefs thought that a stand-up five tech was a better pick than a linebacker that clearly had every athletic and coverage trait that you could possibly want out of the position for a team that desperately needed a linebacker but they did. Fred Warner would be the guy on my team. And in that way, we would no longer be asked to take linebackers in round one of any mock draft for the next decade. Playoff Sammy was worth every penny. But I think playoff Allen Robinson would have been worth more. The Chiefs in that free agency class had a chance at a guy like Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson Allen Robinson's been the better player, clear-cut, hands-down for the last three seasons. He's been able to stay healthier than him. Obviously, Sammy Watkins has made some big plays for this football team in the playoffs, but who's to say that Allen Robinson wouldn't have? Imagine having the good problem of Allen Robinson as your backside X. They did they they win different ways. Allen Robinson isn't the same kind of, you know, straight line speed athlete. He may not be the same kind of vertical threat, but it wasn't like Sammy Watkins had all that many plays as a vertical threat anyway. There was a couple, but most of them were out of structure. Allen Robinson can win the same way Sammy can in a contested catch area and actually probably better uh, and would have been a little bit more consistent and healthy. So that's my guy. Steve Gray Jr., what is the Chiefs' second biggest free agent need, assuming left tackle is first? Well, the thing that happens when you get rid of both starting offensive tackles this close to the start of free agency, everybody forgets that you don't functionally have a second starting defensive end. You don't have Tano Pasnio brought back. You don't have Alex Okafor brought back. You don't even have Taco Charlton brought back. Your defensive end options are Frank Clark. And then across from him is Mike Dana, who's good in a specific role, but he's not ready to be a full-time starter. And then that's kind of where you tail off. So the Chiefs desperately need not only players on the edge, they need a starter. Heck, they need a starter and a quality backup. They need a quality rotational defensive end to go behind the veteran starter that they sign. Defensive end might be as close to as big of a need as offensive tackle. It's just the fact that you drop both offensive tackles this close to free agency, that's going to get all the headlines. Yeah, as much as I would like to come up with something different, I can't. Like, you, you can't get away with not rushing the passer, especially if Frank Clark is going to be dealing with the issues that he dealt with all this last season 
in the future here. Like, if you have to deal with that, then you need a guy that can win consistently with Chris Jones and Frank Clark when he can contribute to be able to have the pass rush that you need to affect the quarterback because they don't. They don't have anybody. And Steve Spagnuolo had to resort to blitzing the hell out of his defensive backs at the end of the season just to get pressure. And it cost him in some games. Like, it it was risky, and now they're losing a cornerback and may need to move Legereus Need outside in a draft that's heavy in slot corners. So if you're going to do that, you have to win up front. They have to have that guy opposite of Frank Clark. Wide receivers close up there too, guys. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but they got to keep insulating with weapons. They don't have enough. They have two. They have two good weapons. Clyde didn't do anything in the passing game. McColl is what he is. They need a third legitimate option. They need it bad, in my opinion. Uh, but I would agree with defensive end. I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I'm just telling you. Like, God, they need, they need, they need weapons. Gabe Alejos, how many round one through three picks could the Chiefs acquire if they traded every pick they have in round four through seven? We found Matthew's burner. I did the draft math for you, which, by the way, you will have a draft chart in the KC draft guide, the same as you get every year. So you can look at the at the trade up, you know, projections and how much each pick or how much a trade up would cost or how much the Chiefs paid whenever Brett Veach inevitably does trade up. I did the math. Uh, all the Chiefs picks on day three, if you traded them all, you would get a pick in the 80s. So one pick in the 80s for all those picks. Uh, Maddie would rather just put all of his eggs in one basket than take the four picks there. All right, Andy Reid's burger. Should we sign Corey Davis? I've been a big fan of Corey Davis. The Chiefs should sign Corey Davis if the market gets depressed at the receiver spot. He's a guy that can win as a contested catch guy, good athletic profile. I think if you put him uh, in this offense, he would have a lot of success. Corey O4 asks, re-sign or let Dan Sorensen walk? I love the question. We really haven't talked about it, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly one of the linchpins of this offseason here. Uh, Steve Spagnolo has used three safeties a lot over the past two years. It's been partially due to the personnel that he has and partially due to the fact that he likes to rotate those guys around. And Dan Sorensen can do a little bit of everything. I know what everybody's going to say. I know how everybody mostly feels about Dan Sorensen, but I... Honestly, I would rather try and get a little more athletic at that position. I think Dan Sorensen is going to cost a little bit more than I think everybody's expecting because I think there will be other teams that want a veteran leader, a guy that can come in and help organize the back end that knows how to win, knows how to play in multiple spots. I think he's going to get a job as a starter somewhere. And if Juan Thornhill is back, then Dan Sorensen isn't your quote-unquote starter, especially if you add to the cornerback group and you get a slot cornerback or a boundary cornerback. Dan Sorensen doesn't get to play as much. He may go out and test the free agent market and try and land a job. If that's the case, I think you can't compete in that. Try and get a little bit better at slot corner and stay with two safeties. I think he's back just for what it's worth. I think he might be back too. I could see them going back. I really could see them going back, but that's not that's yeah. not informed. I just something tells me he's back. You can't shake Dan Sorensen. 
Chiefs Burt. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> you can shake him if you're out on a route. Um, Chiefs Burner, would you be willing to trade pick 31 and a 2022 first round pick to move up for Quiddy Pay or a top receiver at pick 14? Matthew? If the off chance that Jamar Chase was there, absolutely, I would take that. Going back to my same qualm with a Kenny Galladay, I don't know if you have the room to go make this trade for Jalen Waddle and then get him to operate within the same offense that already has Tyree Kill and McCole Hardman, although Waddle would definitely take Hardman's role. Just That's a lot of the same style of player without a big, diverse skill set. So I don't know if he makes sense. Devonta Smith, that profile is just a lot to spend two first-round picks on. If he was there with your first-round pick, absolutely. But to trade two first-round picks to go get a guy that has a height-weight profile that's never existed in the NFL that's been good, I, that's just too much for me. I'm, I'm not going to take that risk. And as far as Quiddy Pay goes, he remains my edge one while everybody's jumping onto the Jalen Phillips bandwagon. He's still my top edge rusher. But there's like five guys that are relatively close. So I would not sacrifice my next year's first-round pick to go get him over the other guys. What if it's Kyle Pitts? Ooh. Yeah, okay. Well, in that case, I would do it before or at the same effort of speed that I would do it for Jamar Chase. And quite frankly, Kyle Pitts might be faster than Jamar Chase. There's a non-zero chance that's true. <laughs> it's Yeah. <laughs> Ball game 21-32. Chiefs have gone against their previous preferred style of player with signing Colicchio Semley at guard and drafting Mike Dana at defensive end. Who is one player in this draft or free agency that you'd like to see the Chiefs acquire that goes against the grain of what we believe that the Chiefs prefer? Boy, this one's easy, and I'm glad I get to go first. Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, a an explosive light linebacker, outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. I think that he'd fit here. I think that he plays against the run a lot stronger than his profile suggests that he's going to, and I think he is explosive. He's got He's got one of the highest ceilings of a pass rusher in this class. I would love to just add him, even if he's just playing in the dime, which the Chiefs are in all the time. You're going to get an explosive, really good pass rusher off the edge off of Frank Clark, and that fills a major, major need. Maddie, really quick before you go, I'm writing down who I think you're picking, and then okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it up, and if I'm right, well, my answer is pretty obvious. So, are you are you ready? All right. I would like the Chiefs to use their first pick in the draft on a good player. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know that goes against the norms. I know that is, you know, outside of their wheelhouse, but I would like that to be where they branch out this year. Preferably not trading up. Yeah, I would really prefer them to stay put <laughs> and draft a good player. That would be phenomenal. And I think that is a preferred style of play that they should break away from. <laughs> Oh my. All right. I guessed I, Ardarius Washington. I don't think he's against their player profile, though. I think he's very similar well, to Tyron Matthew. Played two tiny safeties. He's four feet tall. So is Tyron Matthew. He's yeah. They're not going to play two he's of pocket-sized badger. What's Sorry. wrong with that? Man, he's really good, though. My answer, if I had to choose just a good player, is not acceptable. I would say Rashad Bateman and. 
I don't know if people don't think the Chiefs don't want size at the wide receiver position or what. They're like the one team that the national media is like, oh, they need a receiver here at pick 31. Oh, they don't have a possession guy. Let's just give them Kadarius Coney because hashtag fun. Like that's the entire explanation every single time is just giving them another gadget guy because it would be fun while they ignore the very obvious need that Sammy Watkins was greatly missed. So I don't think it's against the team's particular way of doing things, but I do think there's this belief that the Chiefs only care about speed and don't want size at that position. Also, I don't think Kadarius Tony is hashtag fun as people want to pretend he is. I'm sorry. I don't think he's that hashtag fun. Obviously, I haven't heard his new song. Does he have a song? I'm, I'm, open, yeah, to, I'm open to changing my opinion on this. He greatly enjoys making music. Yes. Interesting. Well. Go, ch- go check it out and then get back to us with the hashtag fun later this week. <laughs> my guy's Landon Dickerson, and that would mean that the Chiefs are going against the grain by actually investing in interior offensive line for the first time ever. One of the teams this team does as a roster building, building tactic is never spent. They've let good interior offensive linemen walk. They really haven't spent a ton of draft capital in the last five years along the interior. The last time they spent a top 100 pick on interior offensive line, I believe, was Mitch Morse. They need to go grab an interior offensive lineman in the Brett Veach era. Stable. You heard it here first. Lucas Niang is playing tackle. Oh, yeah. We'll see. That could that could be the case. Uh, he could just be a, he could be an interior offensive lineman too, but they just need I just go and stabilize the interior, please. B Jones KC, which tackle do you truly feel warrant a first round pick? Y'all have said we likely won't see one of the true first round talents at thirty one, so I'm curious as to which tackles you think are worth a round one pick. I think there's a difference between comfortability and worth, Matthew. And I know we kind of talked about all the offensive linemen earlier. Um. Who do you think is are all the guys we talked about worth it earlier? Like, is an Eichenberg worth it, or is it just I can live with it? If he depends on how you want to go about it. Like, if you're looking at the KC draft guide, you only have two tackles with a first round grade. So, is that how you want to define? Is it worth it? Because if so, I mean, it would just be those two guys. If it's just more of like where you think they will go in the NFL, like what do you think the NFLs can do? Because you have to have 32 players go. I mean. I think you had a good five or six. Most of the guys that we talked about earlier are going to be worth a first round pick because the concept of the draft is you're drafting a non-finished product. You are then putting your own touch on it to get it to where it's got to be. So any of these guys that showcase the talents, the skills, the traits to become that are going to be worth it. The only time it's not worth it is if you see a guy that when you select him, he doesn't have the ceiling. He doesn't have the ability to become this star player like a Damon Arnett or something like that in the first round because he's not fast. Like, that's where you come up with an issue. But when you're dealing with just worth it as a first-round pick, as long as the player shows skills and traits, you're good. And in that regard, I mean, there's probably nine, ten offensive tackles that have those kind of traits that would be worth a first-round pick. It's just a matter of you start having to play risk assessment. Is it worth taking offensive tackle six in the first round versus offensive tackle ten in the second round just spending that extra pick if they're not separated by much. A lot goes into it. I don't think I'm going to be upset with any of the tackles that we talked about earlier in the show in the first round, though. Yeah. Are you saying that maybe his name is better known as Liam Ike and live with it? <laughs> Boy, it hits harder. Like, the aftertaste is better. It's just it, it doesn't go down as smooth, but then I, I got it. 
I got so it at like, the end there. So it's like the opposite of mayonnaise. Here's the thing. Craig has been on a pun game lately, and he's really good at it. And he's better Shocking. than Shocking. Craig is really, really good at something. I know, Wild right? from the stop, Renaissance stop, man. Stop. I'm done with this conversation now. Let's go to the next question. Real quick, one thought on just tackle or just on the on the draft. If you look at everything as a confidence level, a confidence level and an ability to get this guy to his ceiling and what his ceiling is. You know, so you know, like for instance, there there's, you know, Dylan Radens. There's some talent, there's some ability there, but how confident are you in a guy like him to be able to reach his full potential and become you know what his what his ceiling is. His ceiling's probably a mid-level offensive tackle in this league. You got to have a certain level of confidence that you're going to be able to develop him. The developmental gap, I think, help determines helps determine how far a guy has to go and how confident you're going to be able to get that guy to that level. And I think that's ultimately what the NFL draft is: is looking at guys, looking at skill sets, understanding their ceilings, and then trying to identify how much it's going to take to get to that level of, you know, ability or reach that potential. And, and I think that's kind of how you got to frame it. So, you know, yes, there's a lot of guys with talent and ability in this class, no doubt about it. It's just how confident are you that you're going to be able to get them to their ceiling and what their ceiling ultimately is. Some definitely have higher ceilings than others. but like, And when it becomes being worth a draft pick, you have to compare it to what else is available on the board. Absolutely. Not just other offensive tackles, but other positions. So if you're sitting there at the end of the first round, just because there's an offensive tackle like a Liam Eikenberg, that it would be worth a first-round pick in some scenarios, but if you're sitting there staring at Kyle Pitts as well, then no, Liam Eikenberg is <laughs> no longer worth that pick because his ceiling's lower, the chance he doesn't hit his ceiling is higher. Like It's a risk-reward. You know, you're weighing pros and cons of everything. So while there might be 10 tackles that I think would be fine as first-round picks, it all depends on who else is on the board as well. Because I'm telling you, if nine tackles have gone before pick 31, there's going to be a really good non-tackle left on the draft board that right. you probably want over tackle 10. You got to be fluid with the whole process. And I mean, there's there's looking at, and that's what Brett Veach talks about with pockets of players. It's like, it's kind of assessing from pockets and, and looking at different pockets and going from there. All right, Derek Vreeland, any chance Veach falls in love with a tackle at the top of his draft board and trades up in the first round in order to go get his guy? With Brett Veach, obviously there is, you know, there's there's no doubt that he could potentially trade up. Like that, that could happen. Um, it's probably trading up for a guy that we've probably mocked in the past at 31 because this tackle market is kind of be getting kind of kind of finally becoming seen a little bit. I think people are starting to really stack, you know, some of these guys up appropriately. Elijah Vera Tucker getting a lot of more love. Tevin Jenkins a lot more love. Uh, I could see the Chiefs going up and moving up for a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker or Tevin Jenkins. Uh, I could see Brett Veach doing it uh, just to secure the tackle. Um, but I would prefer them to try to just navigate this thing a little bit differently and keep their picks and, and draft, you know, quality players up and down this board. Cause I think there's really good value at a lot of different key positions of need, uh, on this team or for this team, just up and down this, up and down this board. All right. That is going to do it for the mailbag edition of the AP laboratory. Thank you guys so much for listening. A lot will change from now until last time, next time we talk to you, but uh, we'll try to break all that down later. Thank you so much. We'll catch you later. I can live with it.